You're listening to the Comparative Media Studies Colloquium Podcast, a production of the Comparative Media Studies Program at MIT. Episodes are available on the iTunes Store, but we invite you to see us in person here in Cambridge. So get updates about upcoming events, each featuring top media speakers from MIT and around the globe, by joining the growing Comparative Media Studies community on Twitter, Facebook, and our website at cms.mit.edu. To, uh, to introduce a colleague, Federico Casaleño, who's director of the Mobile Experience Lab. Federico has his PhD from the Sorbonne, where he worked with, and I've got to just check the title here, the Sociology of Culture and Communication. He, uh, so he did this at, at uh, uh, Paris 5, uh, which is an esteemed and grand institution. Um, and he works, Federico works in a lot of different spaces, but his, his work in Paris was really on net communication within sort of networked urban environments. And that work has brought him to here to be working on, uh, you know, mobile phones and location-based storytelling, a lot of location-based applications, which we may hear about tonight. But he's also quite active in architecture, and there's a, a project, the, um, the, he works, he directs the Green Home Alliance, which is a kind of a co-production between MIT and the Bruno Kessler Foundation in Italy. So that's another initiative where media, uh, the notion of, of a medium is, is actually quite expanded to, to become the house, the house as a kind of interface for the occupant and um, the environment around it. Uh, Federico is also visiting professor in Luca at, not MIT, but IMT, <laughs> and does a lot there with the issues of heritage and uh, again, with the location-based technologies. So, Federico. Thank you, William. Good evening, everyone. Uh, so my name is Federico Casaleño, uh, director of the MIT Mobile Experience Lab, now within the Comparative Media Studies program. Um, what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to give you a very brief uh, framework uh, to illustrate some of the ideas that have been guided uh, our research, and then I will uh, talk about a few projects that uh, we are uh, doing and other projects that we have done. Um, I will start by first of all thanking my research group because all of the projects that we are seeing here now here, CMR, I see Dan, and I see Perrin who is entering the. Uh, the, the room, if she can open the door, right. Uh, and uh, um, they, they, they are the ones who, 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 who are doing like a fabulous job. Um, the MIT Mobile Experience Lab, and I will talk uh, for about, till about 6 o'clock. If you have questions or if you want to, you know, clarifications or uh, we're a small audience, so uh, please feel free to, to ask questions. What I'm interested in is, is how you redesign connections between three spaces, um, the human space, the information space, and the physical space. So information is uh, both the technology, but also the forms of communication between uh, humans and communities. Secondly, the notion of places, which is both the built environment but it is also um, addressing the question of the virtual uh, and digital architecture. And finally, the idea of people uh, dealing from the individuals to small groups and large communities. 
So the idea is really how we can rethink connections and how we can redesign the experience between these three uh, spaces. Uh, research teams that I will go through during uh, this, this talk are uh, connectivity, mobility, and sustainability. This is, of course, a way to uh, classify those areas, but we, we address these three uh, topics. Um, Connectivity, for example, we've done a lot of work on location-based media, uh, mobile application, web-based applications. Mobility, we have been working on both uh, how can you redesign smart mobility system or uh, mobile technologies, how you can redesign the way people access to media, knowledge, and content. And finally, sustainability and uh, 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 William mentioned before the notion of the one project that we're doing addressing the, prob the problem of sustainability, both from uh, several uh, aspects, actually, and I will talk uh, about this later. A few words about the approach, because it's, uh, it's quite unique, I think, um, but shared with many other groups, actually, uh, in the comparative media as well as media. First of all, we work... Uh, uh, in a multidisciplinary team. Uh, really, in my group, we have computer scientists working with sociologi sociologists, with um, uh, interaction designer, with mathematicians, with software engineer, and we really have a small team, but groups from different disciplines working together. Secondly, uh, multicultural for us is um, fundamental. I'm Italian, we do have Americans, we do have people from Turkey, China, um, Greece, uh, everywhere. So, and it's, it's really important to have people with a different cultural background that discuss similar projects. And for us, it's, a, it's an incredible richness when we discuss uh, projects. For example, we recently had a brainstorming around money. Uh, you know, the way kids in Japan uh, open an account and deal with bank accounts is totally different from Italians, that is totally different from Americans and so far. So only to have one day in brainstorming about how you can redesign services for that is uh, interesting. Or when we did the project for the, the, the connected home uh, and we started to discuss the notion of uh, kitchen, how do you redesign a kitchen? And then you have Indians discussing with Americans and with Italians and say, what's the value of the kitchen? What do you do in the kitchen? So it's very rich environment. Hands on, um, I started the lab within the uh, MIT Media Lab, and as you uh, know, the Media Lab has been created like now more than 25 years by Nicholas Negroponter, uh, extraordinary visionary, uh, architecture and business and information communication technology, so it was like a very visionary, uh, a really visionary on this field by um, Marvin Minsky, among the father of the artificial intelligence, and um, Seymour Papert, who studied with uh, Jean Piaget in Switzerland, and he brought this idea of active learning and this idea of constructivism. To learn, uh, learners have be, has to be engaged actively, not only in searching for information, but also in, in building artifacts physical artifacts, paper artifacts, computer software, but basically the idea of building something that you share with the world uh, and you discuss and then is really the heart of the, the theory. And, and in our group, we really build things and you will see something that we have built. 
integrated because we have been uh, and we work a lot with uh, companies and sponsors so it is an interesting way for us to be uh, somehow to face in a way the real world how the research and research project has somehow to be confronted with like real problems that institutions and governments are uh, dealing with finally um, the idea of the user uh, we really try to understand technology here like is a like uh, few slides from a very old uh, internet uh, video but basically shows how you can design a perfect device like a bicycle or motorcycle which is perfect but then when you put this into people's hands you really can't imagine what people can do with it so you don't think that someone with a bicycle can you know transport a car or you cannot think how really user disrupt the, the bicycle and what really uh, can do so for us uh, the important is really to understand and have the user in the center of the design which is not only cliche but is really uh, also coming from my background as a social scientist so trying to understand people first and then designing technologies around that and uh, for us this remain a, a core core uh, element so <laughs> uh, I will start now with few projects but uh, the, f the, the, the first project that I'm going to to show really deal with this notion of uh, space and urban environment um, urban interventions so let me start very briefly with some inspirational um, let's say interfaces or elements that I, I have been working with in the past to design a project that was called at the end the living memory project so it was uh, this I've done this project before coming to the MIT but I still think that has some interesting element that bring us to to discuss and you will see how we have developed developed this research thread into future projects first of all we try to understand you know if you think to uh, society and, and oral knowledge basically here uh, if you think to communication information how people share uh, informations and uh, uh, what kind of devices or interfaces where available well basically in in oral society people use um, and the community used to share information in the same time and in the same place so um, those who was uh, the actors of the commission of the communication were immersed first of all in the same flow of information uh, they share the same place but also they share the same cultural background uh, some devices helped these forms of communication so this is a pre-modern iPhone basically is a is a, a device utilized by the Lukasa from the tribes in, in Zaire in Africa but basically what you see here are pieces of wood and uh, materials that have different forms and shapes and these forms and shapes basically inform the oral man the man within the community who could read actually the device so who could read to the information and who could then convey this story to their community and uh, this device basically was a way to uh, learn about local history uh, transfer transfer uh, social value cultures and information so far uh, devices from the Aztec on the painting on the walls was another very interesting interface where you could see materialize how people could share information in the same physical space uh, another element the Kwipu from the uh, uh, Incas actually was a very interesting 
um, uh, device. The Incas empire was very, very uh, uh, long and distributed, and uh, they used to have these, um, uh, basically these devices was like necklace with cords and different colors, and these are quipo, which means like knots, and based on the type of knots, the length and the color of this, this convey, uh, this uh, elements, these devices has some information embedded. So those, actually the runner who could uh, wear this necklace could run from one place to another in the empire to transfer information. So from one physical location to another to transfer information, but also to gather information for distant communities and bring back this information to the central government. So actually, uh, it's not totally true because the, like, there are a lot of discussion what's the function of Kupu, but for us, in terms of uh, inspiring material and technology, it was very interesting to address that. So basically, this was a, an antiliteram uh, TCPIP protocol, basically, where you, you know, switch information, you have runners who bring the information here and there and bring it back, and it's a way to control actually from the ruler, from the government, to control what's happening in, in the distant region. Uh, finally, another interesting element, I don't know how many of you are aware about the idea of song lines, that is also a very interesting uh, metaphor or techniques, where basically the, the land becomes the interface. And for the Aboriginal, basically the, the history said that when the uh, gods came out from the earth and create the, urban, the, the natural environment, they start to give names to every natural place, to mountains, to uh, rivers, to location, and so far. And basically, by giving names, they also start to create histories around these places. And uh, the Aboriginal were able to navigate uh, the, the land by connecting, uh, actually, actually, by singing ritual songs, uh, which is like rap songs, basically. From going to one place to another, you sing a song and you recognize your path around the, the land. And what is interesting is that if you bring people away from where the song is, they are not longer able to sing the songs. Somehow, as the song was embedded into the land and not into the people's memory. Anyway, this is, in terms of like inspirational material, something very interesting that inspires some of our projects, and in particular, and I will you know, cut a little bit short, uh, a project related on uh, memory that we, we did a um, few years ago. And this project was a project started in 96 in Holland, and uh, the metaphor... Uh, from where the project started is the metaphor of the uh, lost cat, actually. Uh, in Eindhoven, in, in the Netherlands, one person uh, has lost a cat and one other person find a cat. We are in 1996, and uh, basically one part of the community within the, uh, the, the, the village start to look for the cat, and another part of the community start to look for, started to look for the cat owner. So basically you have two communities looking for one another, and the idea here was how you can design new media in order to support location-based communication, which was a very different paradigm from the global uh, village that was actually the dominant paradigm at that time. We are again in 1996. 
So the, the European Commission started a project uh, that they call iCube, Intelligent Information Interfaces. And within, within this big framework, they had a connected community framework. And basically, we started to rethink what are the key elements that uh, uh, we can use to redesign a uh, new media system that, first of all, can support local news, local history, and uh, also how we can design a system that uh, uh, allows the sharing of experience at the local level, experience and memory, of course. So, uh, and we had about four or five main driver uh, or design directions that were very important to us. And somehow, uh, I feel that are very relevant to what we study and how new media are, are going now. So, um, first of all, at least as a, you know, how we can rethink. First of all, the notion of fractal village versus the notion of global village. Again, 1996, uh, global village, the notion that uh, you can access to information 24-7. Um, at the global scale, it, it was like uh, perfect, but the idea of bringing back the, this notion of fractal village in that sense that each individual in the community is important and somehow um, participate in designing the local uh, culture as well as the local culture basically shape individuals at the community level. The second um, uh, design direction was how we could address the, the idea of uh, designing media that support um, informal communication and not institutional information versus and also tactical communications versus formal communication. So memory, for example, if you think to a museum, memory uh, somehow convey uh, formal and institutional informations. And the, the idea of memory that uh, we wanted to address was not a formal institutional information, but uh, informal and tactical information. Uh, fourth uh, element, um, how community can share information or that is actually based in local content and share in the same space and time and not share it anywhere and anytime. So CNN is a metaphor of accessing information 24-7 from everywhere. And it's you know, a, a global um, element. But it's very different than accessing information which is shared in the same unique space and at the same time. Finally, actually two, two more design elements, the idea of having universal access. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, at the end of the 90s, the idea of digital divide was very strong. So how you can design a system that is easy, easy enough and address for everyone. And finally, the idea of the digital grandmother. So, uh, again, was the, the, at that time, Nicolas Negroponte, a few years before, he published a book called uh, Being Digital, and he you know, mentioned the idea that in the future we will have smart agents that basically will search for information that uh, uh, are relevant to us, and then when uh, you will get home, Basically, your smart agent will say, hey, I saw your you know, TV news, so I recorded some information that may be interesting for you, and then I see like a soccer game, and they recorded this for you, and here is the content. The idea, actually, of digital grandmother that we had in mind was totally different. So we wanted to design a system where 
um, the digital grandmother was not the digital grandmother, but was how you can design media and technology where your real grandmother can parasite the digital information with her own experience. So if you have a grandmother that participate to the Second World War, the idea is how she can share her, her, her own memory around that. So if uh, uh, you access information in a library uh, related to uh, um, you know, the history of the Second World War, how you can learn the formal institutional information, but how a digital grandmother can also share information about how her life was at the time of the Second World War. So it was this idea of mixing, again, formal informal communication and tactical communication about user. The prototype that we have built at that time um, actually address different uh, areas. So the idea that you have a prototype in a f actually three nodes of communications. One node is a, in a public space. Basically, you have broad screen that broadcasts information about the, mem the community of the memory, um, about the community activities. So the idea of having this device that is pure broadcast system. Then you had... Um, some kind of capturing device here that is represented by this element and you have a token. The token is a, a device that you have in your pocket and then capture an information that you can see broadcasted. It's only some, an element that captures a link, captures a URL and it can be a, uh, you know, a, a jewelry, uh, a clothes and something else. And then the idea to design some interfaces that you could access only in public places, uh, cafes, bars, and so far. Uh, the idea that you, you know, download the information that are relevant to you, and this is the idea of the flow of the memory of the community with the user-generated content, so the community bring their own information about events and facts that happen, and then you can browse, and if you're interested in, in something, you bring this into the center of your interaction, and then at this point, you can actually interact and put information uh, or respond to it. And once that you have done, you're done, you can reposition your information nodes in the flow of the, the communication. And then, well, the idea, for example, uh, to uh, the way we design the system, for example, was not connected to the internet because the idea was when we said we don't want to disrupt uh, the social experience, so we want to design media that are only accessible for in, in public places, in bar, libraries, and so far. So this was like a design choice. Another design choice was like a flat screen, which is not really convenient for interactions, or actually it's not the, the optimal solution, like a vertical screen is probably much better in, in a cafe, uh, but in this way, you basically establish a barrier between you and your uh, interlocutor. So the idea was to have a flat screen uh, in order to promote somehow interaction. Anyway, this was like a, an old project, uh, but I, I think that a lot of the elements of the communication are, are still very valuable, especially now that we really think um, how ubiquitous computing really address um, local communities at a local level and the sharing of local information in many different ways. <clears throat> I'm going to present something more uh, recent. Um, this is a project that uh, uh, basically 
uh, address two elements of um, the connectivity between people information places or the forms of communication. One is uh, the digital experience and one is the physical experience. And the reason why I'm showing this is that um, it can be pretty interesting in, in our case. Um, first of all, the, the, the reason for the project was when we started to discuss with a trade show company in Italy, um, they asked us to rethink trade shows and how we would redesign uh, the information flows between visitors and uh, between basically buyers and sellers. Um, it is a trade show in Florence. Uh, Pitti Imagine, they have like, uh, they're the most important trade shows uh, at the world level and they have worldwide and they have um, um, 40,000 visitors that comes for five days in January and then 40,000, a little bit less, 25, 30,000 visitors that come for the second edition in June. So like in a very condensed space, you have a huge amount of people coming in one unique place and then disappearing. And the idea was how you can provide a better, not only experience in access to to, to the trade show, but how you can redesign um, the information uh, and the act, how people can access in a different way to information and to the trade show. So we divided basically the project in, in two. We started to do a lot of ethnographies uh, on site, and basically this was the entrance where basically they wanted to have the most elegant, uh, interesting uh, uh, entrance to a trade show. And then they see, when you see this, it's more like cows entering like uh, in a, so, and, and the people actually was really upset. This turnstile was really bad and so far. So they asked us how you can, you know, rethink how people enter and access. And after a uh, few studies, we, we decided to design what we called a, a smart budge. Uh, we are in 2008, I think, or 2009. But anyway, we designed a, a, a smart badge. And the idea was you have a, a very sophisticated leather badge personalized with your name and so far. And this is a way for you not only to enter to a trade show, but then when you visit, uh, when you visit here the different uh, uh, stores, uh, you basically can tag the items that you like so you have somehow you start to build your database, things that you like. If when you meet people, you can tag people as well. So you exchange business card and you exchange information about products that you like or you don't. And then when you check out, you have a kiosk where you, you, know, you just uh, swipe your, your badges there and you print your own let's say, visit and report of things that you liked and things that you didn't. Um, after, you know, designing, testing this, we, we really realized that it was a very bad uh, idea and uh, no, no one actually utilized. One of the reasons was that uh, the idea of a virtual shake hands, uh, as we called, is, is a really ma a bad perceived. Uh, when you do business, basically you, you, you shake hands with people, you touch, you really need to have this human dimension. So the idea of not touching people, have like a virtual like, connection was really, really bad. Um, but also because you, usually you take notes. Um, you, you, you go to a trade show, you visit in one day basically 200 stands, and you take a lot of business, or you, you have to write things, you put your business card in one pocket or in one other just to remember the guys you have seen and so far. So we started to utilize actually a different 
system basically was a, a, a mobile phone um, and the QR code system, very, very simple in a way, but we started to put QR codes everywhere in the, in the trade shows and uh, uh, users were able to walk around, uh, to tag places, to gather information on places, but also to leave information and to share information with their local uh, company abroad. So the idea to leave voice messages in, in the physical space inside the trade show was started, you know, was very interesting at that time. And we, uh, uh, we tested, um, we experimented, and, and actually now I think that the, the company who is doing that, actually they started uh, a startup based on the idea of you know, e-commerce or e-trade shows, but really you know, trying to rethink this mobile experience. But in this case, if we think back to the... Um, to what the company asks us, you know, how can you redesign how people access to the information? We really uh, develop a mobile application that is really um, a way to uh, address formal and strategic information. It is a tool for business. You go, you tag places, you ask, add and retrieve information about business, and it is really a, a business tools-oriented, and, and it is good. I mean, it has been designed for that and was very good. Um, then, you know, you have, like, a content management system that, you know, manages the things, the places that you have seen and so far. So, for us, this was only 50%, basically, of the, 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 the scope of the project, so designing a tool for business was not the only way that you could design how people access and experiment the place. So we designed a, a, uh, what we called a cloud, basically a, a physical infrastructure that gives um, was a, a magic object that um, I can I can show magic object basically in the entrance of the trade shows and this magic object basically aimed to provide a very different experience of the place. So um, the idea of having a, a, a free form carbon fiber um, uh, object um, where we utilize, in this case we wanted to explore curved screens not only designing flat screens, but curved screens. So we, and this is why I'm saying like the team who work on this, in, in this project was really like fabulous. They design, uh, you know, not only the object, but also the system which basically control each uh, fiber. So each fiber is like a pixel and they had 16,000 fibers. Um, they basically, we have designed a way to control each fiber in a way. Uh, we had put inside like speakers so you could have sounds, uh, sensor, proximity sensors, so when you go you know, close to the object, the object knows and react, or touch sensors, if you want to play uh, Tetris, if you want to play some said, you can, you can do it. We had a camera, so a camera uh, was able to recognize and, and interact through gestural recognition and so far. So and the idea was to explore a different way to play with an object, but also a curved screens. Uh, we didn't want just, again, to put like a flat screen to communicate and to interact. And it was pretty, um, in a way, successful um, 
in that sense, that was a, a, a very nice uh, object. And then uh, we utilized for that like 70 kilometers of fiber optics, so really like a, a huge, a huge uh, object. And uh, the projector inside, uh, you know, really precise and. And again, was the idea, you know, to touch the images and to touch the, 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 the screen. And of course, when you, you know, when we tested with kids, the kids were the first one to start to play and to play music and to interact with the object and, and so forth. Um, so this project, like trade shows, uh, uh, address both uh, like mobile interaction in the physical space when we can design tool in a way for business utilitaristic in a way, but also combining the access to the space, to the place, through an emotional experience and trying to merge the two in order to rethink in a way how you access to a, a space and how you access to people and, and information there. Another project that we did, and even in this case, uh, address like urban intervention and urban uh, and address like urban fabrication was with the Paris uh, French transportation system, uh, RATP, when they asked us to redesign a bus stop. We designed a bus stop, and uh, I will uh, basically, as, as I said before, we, we, we do, uh, we're hands-on labs, so when they ask us, can you redesign a bus stop, we literally build a bus stop in the uh, lower level of the media lab. So we, we utilize parametric design to put together about 700 pieces of wood and experiment new forms of uh, parametric design. So that we, we did a lot of research, again, in, into the fabrication process. So we haven't utilized any, you know, uh, only play wood to, to build. So we assemble, we tested this, we assemble in the lower level in media lab, then we disassemble, we packed like IKEA style and we shipped to Paris where we exhibited into a... Um, into a, 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 an event for the 100 years of the bus stop. But also here, we basically uh, wanted to address how you can design a bus stop which, um, uh, uh, which try to connect the, uh, the transportation system with the local uh, community. So the bus stop is not a uh, a wall between the transportation system and the local community, but it is a bridge and how we can redesign that. So we wanted to have like screens or some kind of digital interactions and again, in, either in this case we didn't want to explore like simple screens, so we, we tried to work with LEDs embedded into silicones and the idea also was to design curved screen uh, to provide some kind of interactions, and either in this case, like the researchers, some basically, you know, they designed, they cooked, they built, and they put, I don't know how many, you know, thousands of LEDs manually. And the tile on the top basically is a tile where you ca that you can bend. So in a way, you can create like, curved surfaces and, uh, uh, and not flat screens. And I will, you know, start a little bit faster, but I want to show you Again, the, the concept of the bus stop and the two interesting things, you have two uh, interactions modality. One is internal and the other one is external. So the internal side of the bus stop is um, basically you have a ticker that tells you uh, the next bus in five minutes and so forth, so one piece of information. Then you have two screens. One is a broadcast screen, 
the broadcast stream is uh, owned by the public transportation agency and deliver information to you about new services, problem on the line, uh, advertisement, or whatever they, they want. And they, you can also interact through a video camera with, um, uh, with actually a, 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 an agent. At that time, we, like, we did a lot of research why people di didn't take the bus. And the illiteracy is one of the main reasons of not taking a bus, because they can't read maps, basically. Users, they can't read maps. And then the second screen was for us a way uh, to address a metaphor of the bus stop as a uh, user-generated landmark. So you think to a discussion thread on the internet where each tree here represent one discussion thread, like restaurants, uh, buy and sells, uh, music, you know, jobs, and so far. And each leaves, it, um, it is a message. So if you're looking you know, for jobs, you click on the three jobs and you, you, know, you search or you post a, a job announcement and so far. And the metaphor was um, the more the people communicate at the local level, the richer the urban garden is. So more trees, more flowers, more leaves and so far. So, and this was for us a way to, re to visually represent um, the intensiveness of the communication at the local level. Uh, we designed, even in this case, all the applications like mobile phone connected to a screen, and we did this in 2006, so it was like way before smartphones. Uh, but also the idea was, okay, internally you have a uh, flow of communication and representations, and then the back of the bus stop where we put all the LEDs somehow reflect the image of the urban garden. And this reflect basically the richness of the social communication. However, we put like sensor to monitor the quality of the air, the quality of um, the sounds, noise, the traffic, the pollution, and so far. And those environmental elements have an impact of on the bus stop and on the image. So those environmental elements destroy basically the communication local level. And this was like a huge, you know, um, urban infrastructure that somehow uh, give back the information to the local community of, you know, the quality of their, let's say, environment, which is a mix between how much people communicate with the, the environmental elements. Uh, then we have developed, like, a lot of other uh, features, like you can play with, with the back of the bus stop, you could, uh, um, the bus was open source, so if you don't like the urban garden metaphor, you can design like a savanna, aquariums, or what, what you like, and so, and so far. So this then remained for a few years uh, in, in the belly of the RATP for uh, thinking and digestion, and now they're designing, actually implementing this, uh, this bus stop in, in the uh, tramway in the, in the uh, area, um, around the city. So I will actually start to... Um, I will go quickly to um, show another you know, project still dealing with like physical construction uh, the Connected Home Project. Um, we are uh, aiming to start the construction in, in the next week or two weeks. Uh, the project started where 
uh, here is a village in, in Italy, uh, northern Italy, uh, north of Trento. Uh, the village is called Zambana, and a landslide destroyed the village in the 50s. So the municipality built this, uh, this wall just to prevent other uh, landslides. And they asked us to redesign the village. So we started to do like a urban planning design for the village. But then it was very difficult, of course, for us to rebuild the entire village. So we started to focus on one unique element, so one prototype of a house. And uh, when we think this house, for us, we have at least four main uh, elements that we consider. First of all, uh, the idea of sustainable architecture, which means we are building a prototype that utilizes sustainable material, but also it is inscribed in the, in the local environment and local uh, landscape. Second element, smart energy system. So we're really addressing new ways of producing and consuming uh, energy. Third element, how can we rethink all the information communication technologies within a, a smart, not smart, but like a connected sustainable home. And finally, the idea of social sustainability. The house is built and lives in, in a village. And uh, uh, in this case, we um, you know, consider the um, inhabitant's life and how you can address the uh, notion of social sustainability from a um, social economical standpoint. And we started to think to the project, and we have now two main design directions. Uh, one is the notion of robotic uh, and cognitive architecture. So the house knows uh, who is inside and how the home is used, knows how much energy can produce, and try to optimize the system of um, distributing energy uh, inside the house. One of the first elements of this, uh, uh, of this um, area is we build a, a dynamic we're building a dynamic facade so basically the, the the facade is made out of windows that turn opaque or transparent based on uh, the notion of privacy how much privacy you need based on the, the needs to um, actually uh, manage the energy consumption and distribution so they turn uh, opaque and transparent and finally they can open and close based on the air circulation. So the idea of merging different technologies, PDLC, uh, electrochromic glasses, and opening and closing makes uh, you know, a quite unique uh, feature in this case. But what is, is interesting is that we are designing the system with the C-cell uh, uh, at, at MIT, so we are utilizing um, intelligence, smart and, and uh, artificial intelligence algorithm to control the house. Uh, the same algorithm that are used, for instance, in, in uh, airplanes to calculate how, um, uh, how to calculate the risk to go from one place to one other and optimize the, uh, the gas consumption, basically. So we designed this with very sophisticated system, but at the same time, we did a lot of ethnographies trying to understand the social value of the window in Italy. So the idea of like being at the window uh, is very strong in many countries, in Italy in particular. When you really talk to, other, uh, talk to others, you, you transfer uh, information, you, 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 you access to culture and so far. 
So th there is actually a Japanese notion, very interesting, and en gawa, no? Uh, which is basically the space in between. It's not inside, it's not outside the house, but it's the, really the space in between. It's where you can welcome someone, but it's not really in your intimacy. Uh, so the idea of merging AI, robotic control windows with uh, social somehow needs of communication was somehow addressed in, in the system. Um, I will. Do you have questions so far, or doubts, or comments? I can present for the next 10, 10 minutes. Then I will probably ten fifteen minutes. Then I will open for discussion. A uh, few projects that we have done, uh, and these address uh, more mobile phones and. Uh, uh, different uh, areas. RideLink is one project that we did in 2007 with the government of Brescia in Italy, uh, where basically they came to us and they asked us how we can rethink how institutions talk to citizens. So uh, even if it is like a, a, you know, a, a usual question, but in, in our case, it was really a government who was broadcasting information, and when they come to us, they said, we are really innovating, we are putting screens in each municipality of our province. We have like 240 municipalities. So innovation was you have screens in municipalities and you broadcast information. And we started to talk to them. And when we went to, uh, to visit them and we started to workshop with local universities, we asked if they were using uh, social networks. At that time, no one was uh, using social network, even among like uh, university students. So it was very undeveloped in, in, in Italy. So we, uh, we through workshops, we, we came out with two ideas. So basically, we haven't imposed any idea, but we have listened to their problem. They had two problems, I mean, more than two problems, but two in particular. One was um, immigration uh, in this area. Uh, basically, till the 50s, uh, they used to speak only Brescians in a way, so the dialect, and then some Italians. Then after the television created a unique language, and uh, uh, the military service somehow started to have Italians traveling in different regions. They started to speak Italians. But they were like very uh, local, very Britians. And now, the, now one newborn out of three is non-Italian. So they switch from a completely Britian and then some Italian culture to a completely different culture where the 30% of the people who actually lives and work there start to be non-Italian. So it's a cultural clash. Um, so this was one, one big uh, element that they uh, suggested to work in. Another element which was a little bit different but was how you can prevent driving under influence. So they're like totally different problems. Then they choose to work on the second problem uh, because they have like a lot of kids dying uh, after like going to clubs on, on Friday, Friday and Saturday nights. So the idea was how you can uh, address this problem. We utilized the project to, to show how they could rethink um, the way they could design media and communication with local groups. Uh, here you see um, the project that we did. We call uh, RideLink, and we have addressed web, 
mobile and wearable technologies. And in the scenario here, and actually Lauren was a, a, a comparative media study uh, student, actually. Um, basically, we designed a, um, a social networking website where user could register. You start to create your own uh, uh, group of friends, like Google Plus now. You have circles of friends, so you, um, um, you do that. Uh, Marco, in this way, is getting ready to go clubbing and having beers with friends, and uh, he wear a, a bracelet. So he uh, uh, basically turned the bracelet on, and the bracelet say, you know, I, I'm working, and he, Marco is going to a club, and uh, in this case, uh, he basically communicated where he was. Uh, they start to uh, drink beers, and... Uh, after the the the, uh, the evening, he um, uh, start to you know want to go back and return at home. And what he does, he blows into the bracelet, and the bracelet recognizes if he had too many drinks or not. If yes, then he start to communicate with his social network and ask uh, for someone who come and pick him up to drive him home. But at the same time, when he you know send a message. Uh, uh, Lauren, she also needs to blow into the bracelet to avoid two drunk people trying to, you know, <laughs> drive it together. So the idea was, uh, you know, designing the system. So she, you know, passed the test, and in uh, the way you see how she turned the bracelet on, so we didn't put like a switch, but like a caress way, uh, so we explore new forms of, you know, again, interactions with the device. And... Uh, you know, she successfully passed the test, and then she, she can drive home uh, Marco. So here, uh, what was interesting for us was to utilize this um, for two main reasons. Uh, one was how you can leverage on peer-to-peer self-support in case of uh, issues at the local level. So it was like going to talk to a municipality or an institution that we used to uh, address, like, vertical top-down communication and showing that there, is, there are also new ways to communicate and to interact. Uh, the second element that was fundamental for, for us was really not to play on technology, around technologies, because uh, in, in Italy, uh, by law, like in Europe, you know, after, as everywhere, you, you drink a glass of wine or whiskey and legally you are not allowed to drive. So you don't need any technology to tell you what to do or that you cannot drive. But what was interesting for us was to think the notion of trust and self-support. So how you can address trust, how um, you can design new media, new forms of communication in order to increase trust. So now, for example, Facebook, um, you don't ask to a friend, so you don't post anything on Facebook saying, I'm completely drunk, please bring me home. However, if you have like, this notion of circles where you, you know, adjust and you, you establish different forms of trust between peers is, is different. And then when we work with kids that we tested with about 100, uh, 100 users in, in Brescia, um, what was even more interesting is that this project was a way to um, start to design services for local communities. So how you can, for example, help... Um, 
my grandmother during the month of August where no one is in town and she needs pills. So I need someone that I trust and go and you know talk five minutes to her, bring some foods or medicine and so far. So they started really to design services that were really based on, on, on trust and on a horizontal level. So <clears throat> this is uh, another project actually we did um, in, uh, uh, in Spain. Uh, this or that, it was for us a way to rethink how you design mobile commerce or how you think mobile commerce. Uh, at that time, we wanted to utilize... Um, um, now, we have been asking to rethink mobile commerce, but we didn't want to work on mobile commerce, so we proposed this idea of social shopping, how you can buy and shop with friends that are not there or virtually there, and how, what kind of dynamics can you experiment. So we designed, uh, let me see, like either here you have a, a scenario, I think, and the scenario in this case was um, you go to a shop, you're interested in something, you need to buy uh, a tie for your husband, and you... Um, uh, you go into a shop and you start to you take three pictures of three different ties. Uh, you start the poll and your friends vote and tells you what to buy. Actually, so this idea is uh, how you can socially uh, how you can look into different social dynamics to uh, in the in the events of shopping and starting from there how you can address how different group of experts, for example, can give advice in many other topics. Uh, how you can rethink. Uh, the experience of using device into a store, so a physical space, and so forth. and again, like how you can work on on this notion of uh, social network. Uh, I will mention a few. Um, actually, um, some project that we are actually working on right now, um, very briefly. So it is a Locus, which is a, a platform uh, that we are developing since a couple of years right now. And uh, we started with a project uh, with a broadcast television in Italy, Rai. And they came to us and they said how you can rethink uh, television in the era of mobile computing. So it was a very simple brief question, of course very complex, but the idea is you know, wh where should we go as a broadcast television? Uh, what we said was, well, actually in the design brief, or the idea was, you know, how we can incorporate user-generated content into a broadcast television, which was not uh, trivial, how you can take advantage of mobile computing uh, and distributed, you know, way to produce and access to video, and finally, how you could keep the social experience of watching the television together, of accessing together in the same physical space to media and content. So we started a, a, a project, Locust, um, and there are like few elements that remain very important for, for us, both from a design perspective and from a theoretical perspective. The first element is the notion of space 2.0, so this idea of augmented space where you can incorporate digital information into the physical environment. The second is how we can explore context awareness. 
So providing content in a meaningful way, and because we tested this in, in Venice, those who have visited Venice, this is like a, a, a usual experience. So you need to go one place and you have two schizophrenic uh, signs. So it's really, so how you can provide uh, the right information at the right moment. Uh, then the idea of um, customized content so providing content, even if it is broadcasted, but is fitting your own interest and, and, and taste in a way. Uh, then the idea of connection. Connection in the sense that uh, somehow you are in a physical space in one particular time and you need to access information that change based on the space and times that you, you, you live in. So the idea of you know, connected time, space, and information was an area. Mashup, um, again, this importance of mixing broadcast information with user-generated content, and then taking into consideration the, the mediascape so that you access information through a series of devices that, uh, that are uh, different. So this is when we, and actually we saw also a, a, a video uh, we started to design low-cost, we designed it, we tested in, uh, in, in Italy. We had three main uh, elements, web application, mobile application, and uh, we explore also this notion of wearable computing. So we create an ecosystem through the web. Uh, you can organize how you want to access to content. So you are in the US, you are leaving and going to Venezia, so you start to planify what do you like. Uh, if you like you know, certain kind, type of exhibitions, you like uh, certain foods, you would like to visit certain areas, so you start to organize your agenda. Then you leave uh, and you go to Venezia. In Venezia you have a different needs, so you have a mobile device, but you can have access to content distributed in the environment uh, and close to you. So the idea of watching videos and content that are around you. Uh, we explored this notion of wearable uh, device, so um, compasses were not used in, in mobile phone at the time, so the idea was that uh, you can visit this, the, the city by actually looking at the city. You don't need to um, uh, utilize a, a device. However, when you go close to an element that uh, um, you, you, I know that you like, the device tells you uh, somehow, hey, look at here, you should look at this video, or you should look here and there. So the idea of having a wearable device that helps you. And then in this case, again, we design a way to design routes or itineraries that you can follow based the broadcast television, so the broadcast television can tell you, oh, this is the official information, you can go here, here, and there, or you can have food here, here, and there, or you can follow your friends or your Facebook friends in a way so you have different way of following itineraries. So we started to develop a, a, a platform, and uh, uh, Amar actually played a, a fantastic role in, in that uh, with other, the other research in the lab, and we developed the platform for many other projects. Um, one of them is um, uh, Locus Civic that we deployed with uh, André, um, Eduardo, and other folks in, in, in Brazil, in Porto Alegre, and we explore in this way really the notion of participatory urbanism and civic media. So we design a totally different website with the same core technology, but we design different ways for people to organize and access to information.
I think that you, you are going to see a, uh, some, some, some uh, uh, videos that are shooted by, uh, by students. Uh, actually, this is not the video that I wanted to show you. Uh, but anyway, we utilize the videos and we capture information. We had students going around the city and to map the city with their content and uh, trying to address problems related to um, traffic, pollution, social spaces, and so far. Uh, another project then still that we are developing with, with Locust is, um, is we did this project in Trento, Italy. And this project was somehow connect. It is related to the project of the connected home. So the idea that uh, you design a house that is also um, connected to a local uh, social environment. And here was the idea you cannot design a house that is sustainable if um, the inhabitants of the place don't have a sustainable behavior. So we have been working with kids in schools um, and trying to explore the notion of sustainability, in particular related to water. So what we have done in this case, and, and you see some videos, we divided kids into different teams, and we assigned them missions to accomplish in order to explore water. So mission were, can you calculate the CO2 impact of water? Can you calculate the difference between public and private water? and so far. So, to, for example, to calculate the CO2 impact of water, kids were you know, going to uh, interviews, bartenders, and shops and say how many you know, boxes of water do you buy, then they start that to calculate if you buy a bottle of Perrier in France, uh, this bottle travels to your table, so how many miles this bottle travels, what's the CO2 impact of this, and they started to learn about math, geography, and so far. And they had like a lot of uh, interesting missions to, to accomplish. And again, it was a very good way to, to explore how you can utilize mobile and web-based uh, technologies. And they also had like a lot of missions, not only to learn about water, but they started, for instance, to interview uh, senior citizens in the village to explore the notion of water, to learn about fountains, for example, the social value of fountains, the architectural value, and so far. Now uh, I will skip. This is like most um, uh, a recent project where we are deploying uh, in Italy, similar project Locust um, um, with the broadcast television. Uh, this is not more interesting than the first one that we did three years ago. But what is interesting is that the broadcast television is really trying to incorporate some of the notion that we expressed. Uh, so how they can incorporate user-generated content in their way of doing television. So for us, this is a good achievement if, um, no, because it's really showing that they really believe that uh, what, what we are. Uh, other project uh, I will show very briefly again, like with uh, colleagues from uh, um, uh, the Pukes University in Porto Alegre, we started a project of youth mapping in Rio de Janeiro, where um, we started to train 20 trainers that uh, worked in Brazil, and uh, they started to address uh, issues at the local level. Now, those trainers are training other trainers, and the idea is to work with 120 schools to map the city with local issues. So the project that you know, they, they, they started to map issues related to uh, infrastructure, sanitation problems, social spaces, and, and so far. Uh, 
so we design the same you know, web applications with mobile phones, which actually is very different from, for example, the one from Travel, but has some similarities. And they uh, really do a terrific job in mapping and reporting for streets critical areas. And, and we hope really now to move forward with a larger project uh, soon. Uh, Elf uh, Palin is doing a, a PhD on uh, a very interesting topics. Um, actually, the goal here is to explore um, video narrations and how uh, video conversations can support teenagers in making right choices when uh, they are facing food problems. So it's how we can face obesity, uh, how you can help teenagers to work around obesity, not from a medical perspective, but from a peer-to-peer -peer and social. So we're doing like similar project where we try to explore video diaries and video narratives in a different way. And another final project, then uh, I will stop. Uh, we had this, uh, a researcher who just uh, graduated, basically doing a project on um, connecting hardware, uh, external hardware to mobile phones, in this case uh, with UV sensors, and the idea was how you can create interaction and understand, um, basically the, the goal was how you can prevent skin cancer by, um, caused by uh, sun exposure. So you have a device and you have some mobile interface and how you can uh, prevent against skin, skin cancer. So I will uh, actually uh, stop here. I think that uh, you, you know the, probably the URL uh, where the projects are and the videos are. And again, like uh, the, the team and the researchers in my group are really doing a fantastic job doing it while I'm telling you the project they're really working on, on, on those projects. Thank you for your attention. And there is probably like questions or uh, comments. Um, so a question that I had looking at a couple of your examples of projects that you've worked on is sort of your relationship to devices and, and how you view them, whether as, as medium or as platform. Um, and I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about just maybe your philosophy towards devices as the technologies that, that make a lot of these experiments possible. I noticed in the, um, in the ride link example, uh, for instance, you, you spoke of wearable media. So, so there, there's an example of, of conceiving a, a device, a physical technology, as a medium unto itself. Um, but then I think a lot of your, your other projects, especially maybe your more recent projects, um, are, are closely related to the idea of, of the smartphone or, or other mobile technologies as sort of a robust platform on which content can both be distributed, but then also as a, as a um, platform for producing content. So can you talk a little bit about your relationship to, to technology in that sense? Yeah, well, uh, this is a, a, a good, good question, definitely good, good topics. Um, well, when we started to rethink uh, mobile technologies, like let's say year 2000, uh, we are still dealing with the uh, lab personal computer experience. So if you, you, if you have a difference or if you compare the personal computer area with the mobile one, 
um, the personal computer, first of all, are, if you look, like, listen the name, that computer is for computation, so to calculate. In French, you say uh, ordinateur, just to put order on things. So it's really like that. Uh, mobile technologies is for communication, so this is like a huge like, difference. Uh, second element, the interaction that you have with mobile uh, computing is very different than uh, PC at home. Uh, PC, you have an immersive interaction, so you are sitting here, you are fully immersed in, in that. Um, with mobile computer, you have a peripheral interaction. Uh, I don't know if it is good or bad, but you are having dinner with friends and you text your other friends. So you have like a peripheral interaction there. Uh, finally, the, the, the personal computer experience is uh, more, let's, let's say, cold in a way. Uh, mobile phones, if you look, you really personalize the device. It's all objects that people like. Um, you know, you put like you know, gadgets, you put like um, stickers on it. So this becomes like an emotional object versus. So these are like, again, like totally two different uh, words. And uh, the reason why we are interested in, in really studying um, the, uh, the mobile technology first is, I don't know if it, a comparison with what happened, the dif difference between Europe and US is, is valuable, but the idea, for example, that mobile virtual communities took off really in the US uh, more than what happens in Europe, and they grow faster than Europe. Virtual communities, we can make a parallel somehow of the urban and physical environment. In the US, you have the main street. You get there by car, you, you shop, and you leave. And then you participate in virtual communities. In Europe, virtual communities like arrive later, but mobile phones, like Italians, have two mobile phones each. I don't know why and how, but they have like basically two. And the idea is that they live in the piazza. So the notion of piazza, you live with others, with others so you can you know, talk to others and have a social relationship while you utilize a phone. So there are like a different way to utilize media and, and technologies. That now this difference is, is you know, less, less uh, important, but for a long time, it really, was, was, uh, and actually the US was very late in the adoption and the use of mobile phones compared to Korea's, to um, Europe, many places in Europe, and, and, and even Latin America, like Brazil. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about, um, in, the, in the, the section about the, the drunk driving, you talked about having people set up sort of different circles of trust, right? The idea that people wouldn't want to broadcast, I'm too drunk to drive home to everybody on Facebook. Um, although we've seen as Facebook has needed to compete with Google Plus for circles and friends lists and things like that. And, and how you conceptualize building these relationships on mobile platforms when so many of the norms which inform understanding these groups in contexts uh, are, and the sort of uh, social cues which inform them uh, are, are, are absent um, uh, in the mobile environment? Well, um, so first of all, the, 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 one of the reasons why we arrived there is that before, for a long time, I've been 
Uh, when I did my, my initial work in Paris, we, we worked a lot with this notion of tribes. So my uh, uh, former PhD professor wrote a book in, in the, I don't know if 87 or like really late 80s, early 90s, and the book, the title was uh, Time of Tribes, and he uh, had a big chapter where he was analyzing uh, the Minitel Rose, the, the pink Minitel, like previous to the internet, and how you had like communities exchanging uh, information, and was about like eros and sex, and, and was the, the Minitel was like prior again to, to, and the idea was to explore like tribes, so small communities at the local level. So the interest was there, and this is why how, somehow we arrived in. Uh, um, in, in Brescia with this notion of small communities versus like large, large groups. I don't know actually if it is true, actually it is certainly true that social, you, you, you don't have social cues uh, in, in a mediated communication at the distance through mobile phones, but at the same time you start to elaborate new forms of social cues. For example, like teenagers, they simply, they text in a different way or they just ring uh, your phones to tell you, you know, I'm here listening or thinking at you, but you don't talk. So it's only like a, a trill on your phone, a drill on your phone instead of... So there are actually social cues in a way that inform uh, community and strengths relationships. Um, the, you know, the type of messages, text messages or video messages that exchange are, are still very relevant. Is this on, or is it just yep. for the for the? Yeah, okay. Um, you mentioned how with your your um, the progression of technology um, from uh, you know personal computer uh, around the two thousand era, a laptop, mobile device to to a mobile phone, and I'm just wondering. Um, you mentioned working in Brazil. I'm, I'm just wondering if you encountered any differences in in your approach of design in different. Um, areas where kind of that laptop area was skipped for most of the population. So when we use mobile devices, especially uh, those of us that have had computers from early, early on, we think of the device as an extension of the computer, and we expect the, yeah. the devices to, to engage us in ways that computers do. So we, yeah. we think of making apps or having, having uh, things on the device that can facilitate things that we would do on the computer. So... Have you encountered, um, I guess, in, in, in your work in Brazil or anywhere else kind of from a design uh, standpoint where that wasn't necessarily the case and how that changes the, the dynamic of interacting with communities where the device is literally the, the first interaction with a computational device? This is also very interesting, actually, points and, and area of explorations. Um, uh, it is like, for example, in Brazil, I was surprised, but Andre can, you know, uh, provide like more more informed uh, feedback on that. But I was really surprised that Brazil switched from a, a non-telephone uh, country into a cell phone country. So basically, if I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, to get a, cell, a telephone line, you should expect like wait like months. Uh, so it was very difficult to get access to telephone, but when cell phones arrived, you have like a wide distribution of cell phones. So you, you, you jump one technological area in a way. Um, 
And it is true what, what, what you said is that you consider somehow a mobile an extension of a, a hardware, uh, a laptop. But um, this is not true for many, like for the teenager, they don't consider a laptop an extension, but the mobile is itself the, uh, the, the communication system or the device. Uh, and in the forms of communication, the way they text, or for example, the communication, like the voice communication is reduced and they utilize more text messaging. So uh, you utilize a device that was meant like to talk through, but actually you don't talk, you just text. And this is how the device is used. So it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, different. Me playing up. I don't know if this is uh, one of the things that was implicit in your question, Rogelio, but uh, what about, uh, so, so you said, right, teenagers now think of mobile phones as being, uh, not as being extensions of computers, but as being separate devices yeah. they engage with differently. Have you had different experience, but, but teenagers in America usually have still had some prior experience with computers mm -hmm. before they've had an experience with a digital mobile device. Have you in your experience uh, in environments, assuming you've come across them, where people's uh, first introduction to a personal electronic device is not a computer, is not a PC, but their first introduction is a mobile phone of some kind, whether it's a feature phone or a smartphone, and uh, whether they interact with it differently. We, ha haven't, we haven't done uh, research in, in that space. What we did, that is completely different in a way, but we did a lot of research on uh, um, uh, how teenagers watch TV um, and basically TV is watched through the lens of a laptop so the TV is also a peripheral screen that you have it there but the conversation that you have on Facebook for example on something that is going on is almost where the center of your attention is so like the, the center of the attention is the, the screen and then the television is, is peripheral so I know that this is not answering the question because we, ha we haven't done like precise research on on, the, on that space. But maybe just to hit this from another direction. So, so you're in a very unique position of of doing projects in Brazil, in Italy. I know you've done some in Spain yep. and of course in the States. Um, and those are probably noticeable. Those are clearly noticeably distinctive cultures. Uh, but in a in a within a cultural space like whether Italy or the U.S. or wherever. Um, you're, you're now suggesting there's, you know, rightly so, generational differences. Are you finding also um, other kinds of differences that relate to how people use phones, whether it's educational differences, class differences, ethnic background differences? It must pose some really interesting design challenges to try to make an app that works for a lot of people with very different layers of, of behaviors and interests. Well, surprisingly, we haven't done, like, comparative studies, but surprisingly, for example, when we went to Italy to, to work with this um, school, basically it was a, a school um, not wealthy, not, you know, uh, students, they were exposed and detached for the first time of their, their life a smartphone. So they were like super excited and, uh, and after, I guess, one year, one hour, they teach us how to use smartphones. So uh, it was really like, a, as well as we did a project in Spain and was like the same. The first project we did in Spain in 2006, we utilized like a, a smart 
smartphones, Motorola A1000, and was really not an issue uh, to access the information. I don't know uh, if like there are like differences um, than in culture because it's really similar the project that we did in Brazil uh, as well. They, they they have very similar patterns. So. Um, the, it's more like age than, than geographical, but... I have a question about the house, actually. Um, so it seems there's, there's kind of a tension with designing uh, to integrate what, uh, what were once discrete systems. So on the one hand, you know, you might get some efficiency out of taking uh, systems that were discrete, and you, and you might get some uh, expedience and, and perhaps some ease of use on the one hand. And on the other hand, I, I think of the anecdote of my dad and his universal remote, where he wanted to control his TV, his DVD player, his you know, VCR probably back when they had that, you know, his audio system, and, and it was you know, a calamity with regards to you know, things turning off when they shouldn't turn off, and, and you know, these systems being really robust systems in their own right, but trying to you know, have some sort of universal control over all of them um, really kind of broke their individual system. So I'm wondering how you design for that kind of tension when you're, I mean, especially a house, right? I mean, it's where you live. So how do you, how do you design with that tension in mind? So we have a, uh, here we have a schizophrenic approach for now, and only like some you know, text and experimentation can help. Schizophrenic, because on one hand, we are really designing a, a super sophisticated optimization system, AI algorithm that know how much energy the house can produce. They know if it is going to be a sunny day or they you know, can forecast the weather. And based on that, they uh, distribute the energy. So I know that you're coming back at 5 o'clock every day. Uh, it's you and your wife and two kids. And so, and today is sunny. But actually, if you're sick or if you want to throw a party and you come home two or hours later with 50 people, you have to optimize and have the right energy that support that. So how you balance... Uh, you know, optimize the risk that the house can take in producing an energy. So th this is like a, a very interesting, important thread of research. But on the other side, we have been also working on all these different interface, exactly like to try to understand, you know, what's the social value of controlling uh, the energy system, like light. Can you leave the light on and off? Can you um, design system that, you know, I don't, uh, in a way, we, we, we try to make disappearing the, the technology. Uh, all the, uh, as far as I know, all the domotic systems are really, really bad. And the idea of, well, I'm generalizing, of course, but the idea of um, a cognitive system that knows what's happening is, um, you know, not in this office, in, in, in my previous office, if I was reading, the lights automatically turn off because the system say you are not here and the lights will be on. But actually I'm, I'm there, I'm directing. So how you can have a system that recognizes that? And this is like for very simple task, but then if you expand like in, in a larger system where the house actually is a robotic house in a way and the house like, you know, operates autonomously for certain parts. So it's very like challenging research questions actually. Hi, uh, excellent presentation. Um, Federico, I'm curious about how you work with 
various sponsors and how these projects take shape? Because I see you working, you know, sometimes in sites where transportation and so forth. Uh, there's a theme that runs through much of your work that has to do with the architectural elements and integrating media with architectural elements. But uh, I guess what I'm really interested in is uh, in this question is just um, how do you conceptualize these products, uh, these projects, and how does that process take place? Do people come to you and say, you know, we have this terrible problem, uh, as you said, uh, you know, with youth uh, drinking or whatever, that, that sort of thing. So it sounds like a, a, in some cases you have governments that are trying to uh, engage uh with projects that they think will serve the public good. In other cases, you're working with uh, private organizations that uh, are trying to improve a situation uh, or solve a problem. So just say a little more about how you generate these projects and how you work with these sponsors. Well, um, the tricky tricky questions because uh, each sponsor is, is uh, different, of course. Um, so the let's say to 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 uh, give an idea that the trade show example was very interesting for us because we have been working with a sponsor very curious actually uh, that wanted you know to be surprised in a way and we had a good experience in that sense that we were able to have a long term project so we did a lot of ethnographies like really trying to understand what people what, you know, shadowing people in the trade shows interviews video interviews a lot of interesting techniques. But also we have been working with all the companies. So we had a workshop uh, in Florence with all the employees of the company for like a week, trying to understand what are the you know, key problem, emerging problem, presenting ideas, without the old employees, but not the top guys. So basically all the knowledge in that case came from the field and from them. And we somehow tried to inject technologies and, and ideas. And... Um, um, it's, it's really like a co-creative uh, process. Sometimes actually is difficult because when a sponsor came to the MIT, they see demos and there is a huge uh, misunderstanding between what a demo is and what the product is. So it's, it's, uh, uh, if you walk next week to the media for the, de for the sponsor, you have fantastic ideas, but you know, no, these are demos. It's not working and, and so far. But the, 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 the full potential of the demo is that they show somehow a good directions. The best experience, again, we had is when we truly work with the sponsor. This is, again, cliche, but it's really... Like tomorrow we have a, a one-day workshop with another sponsor where we are designing mobile technologies and interfaces for remote collaborations. And uh, the sponsor that we work with, these are fantastic. They, they have you know, a PhD on math from MIT, so they're very skilled, very uh, smart, but they are smart enough, I would say, to be uh, willing to listen to the young students. So this is like the, the, the real reason. If they are like so smart that they can listen to uh, MIT undergrads or graduates and trying to see they can learn from, from there, even if they have a PhD of MIT and they're like super director of... So these are the best experience that, that we have, actually. <clears throat> Hi, hello. Hey, sir. Uh, 
So I love all of the projects that, that you present, and it's really interesting how uh, you know you've developed this, uh, you know, the work, the workshop methodology that you describe, and the kind of pipeline that you have to produce them. Um, I'm curious about a couple things. One is um, to go a little deeper into um, some of the actual sort of methods and tools that you use. So you kind of uh, quickly skipped over. Well, you know, we shadow people and do videos and have some workshops. I'd love to hear about and or see more materials from the actual workshop processes. Um, and the other question that I have is kind of about, um, you know, following up on what Rogelio was saying. So in the context of, for example, developing country projects in, say, the, the civic media space. So one model is to develop new interesting tools with a, a new device, which you've done and built, actually, uh, mobile devices, or to take smartphones and, you know, build apps on top of them. I'm wondering about you know thoughts that you might have about building interface design for mobile civic media that would use the low-end phones that most people already have access to, and if that's something that the lab has worked on at all, or or if not, if it's something that you'd be interested in, yep. you know, thinking thinking through. So, um, thanks, Sasha. Actually, again, like these b- both question on methods and, uh, and uh, let's, let's say customized design for different populations are, are super interesting. Customized design, um, one of our problem is that we have some, uh, like we, we try to address local issues and local projects and problems. So we don't, for example, we are not doing project to, um, you know, fight cancer. That's not, but we try to, you know, go individual project with particular communities. Uh, but what we have done now with Locus is a very robust platform which can now be personalized and customized to a, a, a variety of projects and, and situations. So now we are in a position that we want to open source, actually. We are going to open source the code and say, you know, if you work in Kenya, uh, Brazil, uh, or Korea, you have very different uh, technologies, but we can customize somehow the way you interact with information, the way you manage information. Um, and this is actually going to, to, to happen. Um, we do have, what we have done in few cases, we utilize SMS systems. So we build an SMS gateway for some projects. Uh, we build somehow, somehow applications that do not, for example, communicate immediately. Within, with the system, so you don't utilize a cell network, but only when they uh, find a Wi-Fi spot, they can upload or download information. So there is a way to customize somehow the technology that address party. If you have like free full data plans, you really don't care. Like it's only a matter of like not uploading a video that takes three hours. But but we can actually now we have let's say all the the Lego bricks to design in in this way. And then for for the methods, um, we you know definitely we should pursue this idea of creating a library of different techniques that that we can utilize. We have done <coughs> and we get, uh, a lot of project utilize utilizing qualitative methods to to understand user from shadowing, so really like following people, taking notes, and trying to understand what they do. Uh, to um, more like qualitative way to to survey and and to monitor like interviewing like uh, leaders in particular groups or also working with um, 
it, actually, it depends by the scope of, of the project, of course. Um, if you're trying to imagine, in a way, like new forms of potential interaction with devices, we, we do utilize different techniques, different from evaluating some, some, some tests. So it's a... Um, Recently, we have done something that we found very powerful. We provoked somehow we uh, we act some experience. So we wanted to understand how you collaborate uh, in the in the task of making a coffee. So you know how what kind of interfaces. So we have like two people in different places. One at home teaching someone else how to make Greek coffee. So we had a Swedish guy teaching a Greek uh, actually a Greek guys teaching a Swedish girl how to make coffee so and and how you utilize in the technology so we have like filmed the way that you know they utilize the, the, the way if I have to show you go in the fridge there uh, take the milk where is the milk where so we have done like very deep analysis on that it was very useful actually but we can of course like uh, sit down and, and go through and um, map those techniques uh, just a slightly different note. Uh, you worked with uh, Bill Mitchell, one of the great uh, designers, urban uh, designers of our time. Uh, could you maybe reflect a little bit on how you connected with him originally and how some of his work is uh, present in your 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 uh, current work? Yeah. Well, uh, you said like Bill Mitchell was one of the greatest thinkers of, of our time for sure. And I had a... Um, a pleasure to start with him in 95 uh, when uh, I was interested in how we could design um, location-based communication to support communities. So at that time, Bill uh, just published uh, City of Bits. And again, but the idea was how we can design, like, uh, we had this idea of balloting board systems, so how you can design closed system for communities and how you can address the topics of people living in the physical space. And then starting from there, we, we started a long thread of collaboration uh, in the year 2000. As soon as I finished my PhD, Bill asked me to come, so I stay here, uh, like, 10 years working with him. And, uh, you know, I've learned... Um, a lot um, a lot of what, what I'm doing is really like working close with, with Bill uh, one thing that I think was precious in, in Bill that he was never scared about any crazy ideas but really like he was really pushing students and, and researchers to really look forward and do something different but also he was probably unique because he was a, a pluridisciplinary person itself like himself like one really person that was really understanding architecture, which is not easy person, but really also understanding software, which is very complex, really understanding energy system and mechanics, and then most importantly, like design. So this idea of combining somehow these different fields and disciplines. So, and this was like, I, I don't know, they're like brilliant professor at the MIT, but I don't know someone that has now this you know, level that Bill Mitchell really had um, level of like greatness. So it was a great uh, experience to, to work with him, and a pleasure and honor. So, any more questions? Well, in that case, Federico, thanks very much. Thanks, Ian. Uh, <laughs>
And there's a reception over in E15, uh, third floor. So if, uh, if you want to come and talk some more with Federico or come on over. Well, one more, more question. If we, we do a lot of projects and uh, experimentations. And really, if you are willing to participate in, in our project and stuff, we, you're more than welcome to talk to Amar. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>